You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hi, this is Jim. And this is Bax. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers' needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Michael Kist, Benjamin Solak. It's the Kist and Solak Show, presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak show. This is episode five, and it's powered by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. Check out my work on BleedingGreenNation.com. As always, I'm joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Seven Year Streak. Excuse me, Eight Year Streak hey. without a bad day. That's how many good days he's had. <laughs> he is Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S O L A K. Ben. How you doing, brother? Oh, still a good day, Mike, as always. I had many, uh, many folk ask me over the past couple of days uh, during roster cuts if it was still a good day because Danelle Pumphrey was <laughs> cut and then not included on the practice squad, to which I respond, yeah, worse things have happened to me in my life than a guy <laughs> getting cut off the Philadelphia Eagles. So I, I will be able to endure. Thank you. It's important to note, because I went back uh, to make sure that I knew what I was talking about. The Eagles drafted Nell Pumphrey at the end of the fourth round. I had Nell Pumphrey mm-hmm. as my running back 12 with a mid-fourth round valuation. So really, they drafted him right around where I thought he would be successful, and I liked 11 other backs in the class better than him. Which is important things to note when it comes to, you know, clowning <laughs> on me for the fact that he got cut. Also, obviously, uh, I really liked him just as, as like a person, and I liked his style of play. I liked his story. Uh, I thought he would be a good player in the NFL, and he wasn't. A lot of that has to do with the fact that he uh, simply could not keep that hamstring healthy. And if you want any evidence uh, to the fact that his hamstring is in a bad place, the fact that the Eagles did not practice squat him is, I think, very clear evidence to that. Because he was your fourth-round pick two years ago, and you IR'd him his first year, so he didn't get much practice time. You haven't worked with him that much. And so the only reason you would not be practice squatting that player is if you really thought he had no redeemable future, especially over like right. a Wendell Smallwood or a Josh Adams, who you invested more capital in more recently. Uh, and so simply a player who tried to put on a ton of mass for the pre-draft process and, and probably did some serious, you don't want to say irreparable, because you don't really know, but somewhere in that ballpark damage to his hamstring. And so that's a shame. It's a sad thing. Uh, and obviously I'm disappointed to see Pumphrey go. He's one of my guys. But yeah, uh, it's still a good day. Uh, close one, but I made it. I'm shocked that your emotional uh, stability is not tied to a fourth-round running back that you had as a running back 12. 
I'm I'm very proud of you to be able to if work you asked, that. I'd love to say if you asked, you know, the general listeners and readers, then you would think that my emotional stability was tied to Pumphrey. But it's not just them. If you asked Brandon Lee Gowan, uh, then you would assume my emotional stability was tethered to a fourth round running back. Yeah, it's a good time. So, yeah, we're going to be updating you, gentle listener, on all the practice squad moves. There was a trade. Uh, there was a waiver claim, which caused a cut. We're going to get you updated on that right now. Before we get into the main topic, which is going to be over-unders for the season, we'll be going through some individual players. We'll talk about over-unders on the win-loss total, all that. So before we get to all that, we want to get you into the the pressing news. Right after the roster cuts dropped, after me and Brandon Lee Gowton did our reaction pod, of course, like literally right as I was posting it, this trade happened. Yeah, how he was listening. And once once he heard you guys stop recording because he was listening live, he decided to make the trade. As soon as I got in my car, I was like, you got to be kidding me. I, I did not delay my massage. I still went and got that. So now we got to talk about it. So um, the Eagles traded a conditional seventh round pick to bring in DeAndre Hall, the safety from the Chicago Bears, which likely means and he's dealing with a one game suspension coming into this season. So he doesn't count against the roster quite yet. It could be bad news for Trey Sullivan, the safety that made the roster once week two rolls around. And I would say based on what I've seen from DeAndre Hall, he's a converted uh, corner to, to safety, but he also played both corner and safety mm-hmm. in college at Northern Iowa. In fact, his last season there, he played both positions. I would say he's a more reliable tackler. He's part of that size profile that they're looking for, that they were trying to bring in with Darrell Worley, with the long arms, big guy, real sound tackler, uh, like what he brings to the table as far as that goes. I think he comes in as our fourth safety if, if he sticks. So there's that. Then you've also got the Eagles have claimed former Seattle Seahawks linebacker DJ Alexander, who is a special team stud, actually made the, the Pro Bowl as reserve for special teams, mm-hmm. and claiming him takes uh, Joe Walker out of a job, so he's out. And then we have the, and I'm actually happy about that. If you listen to the the projection show that I had, you'll know that I wanted Joe Walker to go once Bradham came back, and I wanted Leroy Reynolds to stay, so I'm very happy about all of that, and we get a very good special teams player to re- replace some of that value there. Looking at the Eagles practice squad members right now, it is at 8 out of 10. There's running back Josh Adams, who sticks with us, I guess the market wasn't as strong as some people made it out to be with him. Who knew? Oh, me and Ben. That's right. Moving on. Whoops. (laughs) Tight end, Billy Brown, six on the practice squad. Wide receiver, Rashard Davis, who I thought had a good preseason. He stays. Greg Ward Jr. as well. Center, John Toth. Defensive end, Joe Osman. I like him. The rookie out of Central Michigan, UDFA. He sticks. uh, Defensive tackle, Winston Craig. And linebacker Asante Brown, there's still probably going to be a little bit of moving and shaking if we knew, know how he then right after we're done recording, there's going to be another trade or some some sort of nonsense. But we'll be here to cover it throughout the week because we're going to be recording uh, a lot during this week as we lead into week one of the regular season as the Eagles try to defend their title. Ben, out of all those moves, do any of those uh, stick out to you? I will say I really like the fact that Joe Austin made it onto the practice squad because when he was drafted, Mike, uh, I remember saying it's such a good situation to be in as a young rusher to get into that Philadelphia locker room because there are so many good pass rushers on Philadelphia and there's a lot to learn. and There's a lot to get exposed to. And obviously going up against a fantastic offensive line doesn't hurt either, right? Uh, when it comes to Austin, we assumed, uh, at least me watching him in camp, Right, this guy's good enough that if he gets cut, he should go somewhere else and somebody should be picking him up and seeing what, what they got. 
But, you know, undrafted free agent, clearly it wasn't valued at that level uh, come draft time. And then there wasn't enough, uh, you know, uh, increase in value across training camp. So he gets to spend a year on the practice squad working with some of the NFL's best pass rushers against some of the NFL's best pass protectors. That can't be bad yeah. news. And, and this was a player who I thought already coming out was pretty technically polished for uh, a rookie. And so I think that he has a, a nice potential there in the practice squad. Uh, the, the two that I would circle would be him and then Rashard Davis, the one that, that you identified as players who had had some flashy moments at camp. And if they can parlay their practice squad time into improved technical understanding, uh, then they have a chance to make more noise when we start, you know, wrapping around back to this time in 2019. So those are the two guys I'm interested in on the practice squad. Obviously, you know, Josh Adams as well as a player that they've decided that they're interested in. When it comes to DJ Alexander and Joe Walker, Athletic profiles are pretty similar. Uh, Alexander had a slightly higher, you know, just draft caliber. He was a fifth-round pick for the Chiefs. Right. Uh, you know, he's probably got a better pass rushing upside in that regards. But, yeah, to me, this looks like uh, trading a special teamer for a special teamer you don't know as well. So maybe he's more than that. Joe Walker couldn't cover. Yeah. That doesn't cut the cheese. Simple as that. Yeah, and I thought Leroy Reynolds showed out better in that area as far as the coverage goes, too. So I'm happy about that. Were there any players that didn't make it? Obviously, we already covered Pumphrey. That's old news by now. We can finally move on from that. But Jeremy Reeves was one guy that I would hope would stick on the practice squad and did not. I thought, mm-hmm. you know, he... You know, at the senior bowl, we saw him tackle really well, and he had a couple of really good days uh, in coverage. And in the game, he had 14 tackles. I thought his tackling uh, was up and down in the preseason. Missed some tackles he should have made, took some bad angles, and that's where I think where they value DeAndre Hall because he's definitely improved as a tackler in the NFL. I've got an article dropping on him today around the time, that uh, later on in the day after this pod releases, but I've watched his film. I've gone back. I went back to his college film. I went back to some preseason film. I went back to him against the Eagles in 2016 where Nelson Aguilar made him look silly. I uh, watched him a lot, and I liked his game. So that safety position is is a little bit deeper than, than it was before. So Reeves doesn't get to stick. That was the one I was disappointed about because I do like his game. Yeah, and, and, and to me, if there's no DeAndre Hall trade, then Reeves is probably a quick practice squad guy. Yep. Like, that's not a tough one. Um, but all of a sudden, you're adding another safety in the mix. It kind of bumps the bottom of the barrel down. Simple as that. Reeves is not going to be a high-priority ad for other teams. So he's going to be a guy who potentially floats around for a while. And so, you know, the Eagles have had... Uh, you know, offensive linemen like Aaron Evans and maybe Jeremy Reeves is a guy they just pick up and drop off and pick up and drop off and pick up and drop off, which is obviously a tough spot to put a guy in. But it might just be where, you know, Philadelphia feels as if they can uh, put him on the street and they can, they'll be able to bring him back if need be. Uh, you know, so the, to me, the DeAndre Hall trend makes a lot of sense in that regard. Oh, uh, Stephen Means is a vested vet. And although the Eagles right. did not put him on the roster, uh, he is. He was not subject to waivers. Ben, do you predict that the Eagles have pretty much an understanding with him where they're going to bring him back onto the roster, or do you think he goes elsewhere? Right, so the the vested vet consideration, uh, if he's not on the roster week one, then the team can basically bring him back and just pay him week by week. It's unguaranteed game checks. For however long you're on the roster, you get a game check, and that's about it. Very convenient for the team. Uh, obviously for the player, a little bit trickier. Now, there's considerations to be had for what contract Stephen Means would sign as far as the game check, the game check, how much that that figure would be if he were to come back. Uh, and if that's something that, you know, Howie and, and Stephen have a handshake deal on with, with his agent, then, you know, that, that's something that, that currently exists. Stephen Means has a fantastic relationship with the people in that building. So I can promise you him being cut was either one under the consideration that using the the 
the different legislation around vested vets that means it was going to get brought back and he was going to be a contributor for the team and it was just a, a cap move or two it was the team saying listen like you know we can't give you the playing time you deserve we can't give you the cash you deserve go somewhere else and go get yeah. it uh steven means was not an immediate roster ad uh which is interesting because you would assume that if he were a uh, free game if you were a guy that was was looking actively for a new job he would be fielding offers right now maybe he is fielding offers but you know he's got something in place with with philadelphia steven means was not cut because he's bad at football steven means good as football steven means was not cut because philadelphia didn't have like you know the immediate cap room to hold on to him there has to be uh, a secondary consideration likely one of the two that i listed as far as what i understand yeah. but yeah that was a surprising name to see off so there's got to be something more going on there yeah absolutely agree and we'll see how that plays out and of course we'll keep you updated here at bleeding green nation now moving on to our main topic of the show we're going to be talking over-unders, and we're going to be going through some individual players, and then we'll give our prediction for the over-under on wins for the year. These are ones that uh, BLG sent over to me and wanted us to discuss, so there there might be some traps in here. You never know. Um, we have seen them. We have looked them over. We have thought about it with our brain balls, so let's just get right into it. First up is Carson Wentz, and we're going to go – we'll talk about the yards and the touchdowns together before we get into the interception. So yards and touchdowns, the over under on yards is 3,800 yards. So last year, 3,296 passing yards in 13 games. You extrapolate that over 15 games, you get 3,296 passing yards in 13 games last year. You extrapolate that over 15 games, right on the head, 3,802 is what that would work out to, Ben. Uh, you got to figure he throws around 500 to 550 passes, I think would be a good guess, which if he keeps up the 7.5 yards per attempt from last year, that puts you in a range from about 3,750 to 4,125 yards. Okay. Now I think that 7.5 yards per attempt number comes down a little bit and I'm going to call it 7.2, which puts you at a range of 3,600 to 3,960 and that's close. So then you add in the other factor of him possibly missing week two as well. We don't know if he's you know, playing week two. We don't know exactly when he's coming back. Um, you can't rule it out, even though I think he plays. So it's even closer. But if you're going to protect once like we talked about and bring that average depth of target down on play action via the RPO, I think I'll go under. Ben, and really there's nothing wrong with that yards are a bit of a meaningless stat it's more about efficiency and as far as the touchdowns the over under is at 27 touchdowns i'm going to smash the over on this they're too good in the red zone oh, wow and even though i think he gets less opportunities down there because we'll see a positive regression to the mean in terms of red zone running i can i can't see him throwing less than 27 touchdowns i'm not expecting the same pace he was on last year by any means but this one is pretty easy for me so i'll go over and i'm pretty confident about it what about you ben he you understand 7.5 per, uh, touchdown percentage last year for carson was by far the league lead uh -huh. next highest was 6.7 which is rogers uh, and then it's 6.1 with wilson and kind of the numbers chill around that six to five area pretty much down the list you know 27 touchdowns would put him at an eighth on the list last season well, you might want to lean towards the over a little bit. I, I like. I, I might still be there. I think it's going to be much closer than twenty-seven. I'm not smashing it the way that you might be. I would be. Uh, that would be the bet I would step away from. Uh, and thirty-eight hundred passing yards. 
I'm going to hit the over on that. Huh. That's the one where I'm going to take the over on it. Yeah, simply because, and you brought up the point where you said you thought the 7.5 yards per attempt was going to go down. I personally think it's going to stay either around or potentially go up. I think that he has a better uh, deep threat in Mike Wallace this year than he had last year. True. I think that he'll have a 100% healthy Alshon Jeffrey down the field, which he didn't have last year. And I also think that the Eagles ripped a lot of second-level RPOs, uh, manipulating linebackers and safeties down in the box last year. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the natural extension from that becomes third-level RPOs and manipulating deep safeties. Uh, Because uh, when a defense goes to respond to second-level RPOs, what they start doing is they start spinning their safeties and they start rotating their safeties late at the snap uh, to put an extra defender onto the play side that they anticipate. And so uh, you're now exposing yourself deeper because you're anticipating that quick RPO throw, which happens within 1.52 seconds of the snap. So I think that the natural counter to defense is playing heavy downfield against RPOs is taking more deep shots on -on one-on-one throws. So I would not be super shocked to see that 7.5 number stay around or go up. And I'm also still more... Uh, more bullish on Carson playing 15 to 16 games. Uh, to me, he's a guy who looks incredibly spry. Uh, that being said, did you watch the Doug Presser today? Oh, yeah. He was irritated. I only saw clips of it. He was super irritated, man. <laughs> that was terrifying. I was in shock. Oh, my gosh. I almost could not get out of my seat when the presser ended. I just couldn't move. It was Richard Mortis, man. It was the worst. We needed Wentz back for Doug. That's what we really need a back for because he is. Yeah, weird. poor guy, man. He just wants he just wants to talk about literally anything else. <laughs> so let's talk more about Carson Wentz because we still have to do the interceptions. So uh, we were opposite on touchdowns and yards. Let's see if we're the same on interceptions. The over under is at ten and a half. So only seven interceptions last year, which cut in half his fourteen from a year prior. Uh, I mean, is it Ben? Is it awful if he has twelve or thirteen this year? He's a bit of a risk taker. Uh, he's gonna throw some balls into some spots that other quarterbacks won't even try. And you got to be able to live with the upside and the downside of that. And I know people cringe when this following phrase is brought up, but I believe it to be true that he had some turnover luck early in the season and then got more responsible as the season progressed. So this one's a tough one, but I'm gonna go over. So I'm going over on touchdowns, and I'm going over on interceptions, and I don't think that's necessarily mm-hmm. a bad sign on the interceptions. I just think it's slightly over. So what about you, Ben? I mean, you, you probably already know where I am on this one. Simply, uh, <laughs> I'm probably going to be taking the over on this solely because, one, Carson's a, a slinger. I'm totally fine with my quarterback throwing 15 interceptions. Couldn't care less. Right. You know, well, obviously care a little bit if they're really bad decisions. But put the ball out there. Throw up some 50-50 balls. You yeah. know? And then number two, which is crucially important, is that interceptions – aren't necessarily the stickiest of stat. They are highly, highly, highly circumstantial. And so if we're just looking at a interceptions across the league for starting quarterback sort of a situation, yeah, the majority of your starting quarterbacks in the league are throwing right around 10-11 interceptions. And then I think you add in the fact that Carson tends to take some risks and take some shots because that's his style of play. Uh, you know, it's tough to keep interception numbers very, very steady year to year right. because of the amount of nonsense that goes into crazy interceptions. Like Aaron Rodgers had an incredible string of no interceptions at home, and we like love to talk about this string that he had. And then you go watch the tape, and he had like six dropped ones. Yeah, right. And then last season, Matt Ryan is like among like the league leaders in interceptions thrown. And you go and you watch the tape, and there's like 95 like drops, batted up, kicked off somebody's <laughs> leg, deflected the line of scrimmage, off a helmet, interceptions or nonsense. Right. It's just all wild. 
So interception isn't really one to bet. Um, but if I were taking it, I would probably take the over. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. It's it's yeah, there's a lot of different things that can go into an interception. So that's not like I said, it's not necessarily a bad thing. We want to take some risk. We want to take some shots downfield. We can live with some interceptions. Moving on to the mm-hmm. running game. Jay Ajayi. Total rushing yards, and then we'll go, we'll do touchdowns as well. We'll ball it together. So the over-under for rushing yards is at 950. I've been back and forth on this, but ultimately it comes down to how the Eagles want to use him. And I don't think that they want to expend him like a workhorse in the regular season. They'll need him for the postseason. Um, they can get efficiency out of Clement, out of Sproles, who also contribute a lot in the passing game. And yeah, it's his contract year and all that. But what's the point of using him up in the regular season if he's beat up later? Uh, just because it's his contract year doesn't mean that we just, you know, beat him down to a nub. And by the time the playoffs come, he's, he's worthless to us. Let's let somebody like Smallwood take those fourth quarter run the clock carries when we're up double digits. I'm fine with that. Man, if Smallwood's going to be active, I'm going to be pissed. But sorry, continue. You, you know what I mean? Smallwood, like Clement, take him, yeah. let whoever, whoever you want to let take him. Take them. Just don't have, don't beat up Jai for 20 carries a game. If we're winning by double digits, it just doesn't make uh, good sense to me. And then for the touchdowns, this is total touchdowns, rushing and receiving touchdowns in 2018. The over under is set at six and a half. Uh, we've talked about the positive boost in red zone running before for the Eagles. Last year, Blunt wasn't effective from inside the five. And despite doing well in other areas, that was one area where he was lacking. Ajayi is five for 11 all time in his career from runs inside the five. I think he eclipses 6.5, not by much, but I think he gets enough opportunities to get there. What say you, Ben? Yeah, I mean, it's it's very interesting. We start with uh, the yardage situation. And last year, Philadelphia as a team, rushed for over 2,000 yards, right. right? They were cooking at it. Now, the question really is going to become, how many yards do you think Darren Sproles takes up as a rusher? So, gun your head, how many yards is Sproles rushing for this year? Let's go 400. See, here's what's pretty crazy. Darren Sproles rushed for 400 yards uh, the last season he was healthy in 2016, right? He rushed for 438 Ooh. yards. The next most recent season he did that was 2011 with New Orleans. And between then, 244, 220, 329, 317, right? So that's four, four straight seasons of not hitting 400 yards. Yeah. Now we got him in his oldest season coming back from injury. I don't think he gets close to 400 yards, right? And then, so then the next question we have to ask ourselves, okay, well, how many yards is Corey Clement rushing for? So gun to your head, how many yards is Corey Clement rushing for? Go, i probably go like 650 for him, 650, 700. Right, 650, 700. Last year, he rushed for only 320 yards. So we're assuming that, and that's on 74. That's a 4.3 yard per attempt. That's pretty good. But we're assuming he doubles his yard output, yeah. doubles his, his, his touches, and he's able to keep his uh, yards per attempt steady at the increased volume. To me, Eagles need a Jai to be hitting 1,000 yards. Like That's like necessary. That's got to happen. You're not going to feed Sproles true rushing touches. And Corey's a good player. I don't know if we're going to see that much of a leap at that still that same level of efficiency, right? And so I'm looking for a Jai to absolutely clear 1,000 yards. And really, if you look at it like on a per-game basis, as far as how many touches it would really get for him to be hitting that, because the one thing we don't want is for a Jai to get worn down. You know, if you're, if, you, if you're doing just a four-yard per carry average as the bell cow back, to hit 1,000 over 16 games, you need 15, 16 carries a game. Right. I think that's, that's like, you know, obviously if you're hitting perfectly four. 
I think 15, 16 carries a game is very reasonable for J.J., especially without LeGarrette Blunt eating up carries as a fourth quarter closer, uh, that physical guy they like to bring in. Again, that could be Corey. They could be moving that around. Like you said, if Wendell's active, then maybe it's Wendell. But I think he sees enough touches per game where if he's around four yards per carry, which he should be with that offensive line in front of him, 1,000 makes a lot of sense. So, yeah, I really strongly anticipate the 1,000. The touchdowns, man, like, remember, remember, like, in the middle of the season last year where, like, Philly had, like, three players all with eight touchdowns? Yeah. Like, Alshon, Ertz, and Aguilar. I think there was seven. I think they all had seven. Yeah. And, like, the most receiving touchdowns in the league was nine. <laughs> and the Eagles had, like, three in the top eight. Because this team just moves the ball around so much in the red zone. Yeah. It's so tricky. You know what I mean? Like, Corey Clement went and caught two, tu- caught two touchdowns against the Patriots. Third straight running back, undrafted <laughs> free agent. Like, like, your touchdown output in Philadelphia is not heavily correlated to talent. Right. It's, it's, it's usage and matchup. So it's very, very tricky. Uh, I like the fact that receiving got thrown in there. Uh, because, uh, backs having the potential to take screens when you get inside of the 30, that's, that's prime screen territory. Uh, obviously working little flare routes, working little, you know, back throws, whatever you got going on, just like in the flats when you're within the 10. Like, these are common things that are done. Uh, so I like that that's added there. I'd stay away from that one. I'd probably lean under. Uh, but 1000 over is the one that I think I would take pretty comfortably. Yeah. And I think we're, for each running back, I think we're about 100 to 200 yards away from each other, which is, when you think about it, over 16 games, not that big of a difference. So we'll see how that plays out. I'm glad that we're having some disagreements because uh, last time we did this, uh, I beat you with the NFL draft over and unders, and I feel wow, confident. That, see, I'm going to keep it 100. That felt unnecessary. <laughs> a lot of the things I do are unnecessary, and Petty Ben, you know this. Don't act surprised. All right, so we're moving on to Mike Wallace. Uh, total receiving yards in the 2018 Mike. regular season. Over under is set at 600 yards. It would be only the second time in his career that Wallace would be under 600 if he if he doesn't do it this year. The other time was his one-year stint in Minnesota back in 2015. I want to say under because there's so many weapons in the passing game. Uh, but by that same token, Torrey Smith had to deal with just about the same amount of weapons around him, still put up 430 yards. I think Wallace is 200 yards better than him any day of the week and provides a more consistent three-level receiver than Smith has ever been. I'll go over, but not by much. Touchdowns, 3.5. Again, Torrey Smith had two touchdowns. I think Wallace is a substantial upgrade. I would put him around five. You never know what's going to happen in the red zone, as me and Ben have been talking about. They move the ball around so much, it's really hard to tell. And it doesn't, again, it's not too indicative of talent. It's just opportunity. But I think he gets around five. So I'm going to go over, over for Mike Wallace. Ben, what you got? Yeah, okay. First, the most important thing is this. Uh, When I went to the Pro Football Reference site to start deciding what I wanted to do for Mike Wallace, I realized that his first name is Burnell. Uh, That's what they have listed. They have Burnell Michael Wallace. So I'm like, yo, I'm not going to be like, yo, Burnell, and see what happens. But actually, I'm not going to do that because that's not okay. <laughs> but still, Burnell's a cool name. Uh, major focus here is this. Yeah, Baltimore, uh, a man put out just in that season alone, I believe it was around, right around, he put up 748 yards against Baltimore. Yeah. Okay, but here's the crazy thing. His first game with, uh, with the Ravens this last season, eight yards. <laughs> Week two, seven yards. Week three, six yards. Week four... 55. All of a sudden, he got 10 targets after only seeing eight total cumulative those first three weeks. So if you take his just week four to week 16 stats and you extrapolate those over a 16 game season, he was looking at a 969 yard receiving season. Yeah. Right? Those first three games, 
only eight targets, and then all of a sudden he really starts ripping it to get more comfortable with him in the offense. I don't anticipate him only seeing eight targets over the first three games here in Philadelphia, right? That would be surprising to me. I think he's obviously still going to be used as a, uh, you know, as a, a secondary piece here in Philadelphia. I don't necessarily think he's going to see incredible targets. Like that amount of target that you have him uh, seeing over that 16-game stretch when he was successful in Baltimore, right. that would have been 111 targets, yep. right? And, and you know, that, that, that's 6.9 a game. That's 7 a game. I think that's a, a few too many. But we're talking about a guy who's looking at 15 yards per reception across that very productive streak. And 15 yards per reception, if you're just hitting four, three receptions a game, yeah, he's going to be clearing 600. Yeah. Uh, so to me, Mike Wallace, I think, is a guy that I anticipate to, yeah, be able to hit that that, that receiving yard total. He's going to have a couple hundred-yard games for Philadelphia where they really like what they can do deep against some slower corners. I like that a lot. And then I'm going to give him over on the receiving touchdowns yeah. uh, because, as I think is a, a pretty clear theme here, one of the things I anticipate happening in this offense is it getting a little bit more deep oriented, uh, it using Wallace a little bit more down the field, using those two tight end sets to really drag safeties down the field, forcing teams to play in cover three, forcing teams to ask their corners to cover one on one down the field. It opens up a lot of shots for you. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm bullish on what Mike Wallace can do in this offense. That's me really excited, especially for as long as, uh, as Alshon is dealing with, with recovery. They're, he's a guy they're definitely not going to rush. Uh, Mike Wallace, I'm big on him this year. Yeah, and look at Wallace's past stats and then realize he's dealing with Joe Flacco as a quarterback, and now he gets to play with a real quarterback. <laughs> All right, Nelson Aguilar, total receiving yards. The over-under is set at 750. Uh, he had 768 yards last year. It's hard to see him not topping that performance, Ben, but you, you get the upgrade on the outside with Wallace, who can contribute in the slot, and I think he may end up just under it. It's not a knock on him because, by all accounts, he's had an amazing camp despite missing preseason mm-hmm. action. He was uncoverable, but these yards, they got to come off somewhere. Uh, if I'm going under with Wentz at 3,800 yards, and th- this is what Ben will do to me, by the way, so I'm kind of watching this. He'll keep tabs on all the over-unders, and at the end, he'll go, well, Michael, uh, well, actually, with the way that you're betting, it looks like Wentz is going to have 5,000 passing yards this season. Can you please explain that? I did that last year to you, where you were like, listen, Wentz <laughs> under 350 yards, uh, all the receivers over. <laughs> How is this going to happen? <laughs> So you're not going to get me this time, Ben. I'm going to go under for Aguilar here, even the week one without Alshon. I, I think he smashes re- <laughs> receiving touchdowns. They have it at five for the over-under. I'll go over. He saw a lot of red zone targets last yeah. year. I think that stays fairly stable. And I'm sure as I say that, some like analytics nerd is like cringing about stability and red zone targets. But Aguilar has the skill set to win early in routes with the compressed field. And uh, he's shown that he can be a big play threat, too. So I'll go over on the five. What about you, Ben? 750 for Nelson Aguilar is the toughest one for me to bet. Like, to me, that's just perfect. It's like, that's exactly what I get. I like that. That just makes sense for him in this, in this offense. 768 last year. Uh, I think this is a pretty important note. And it's what makes me lean under for him. He and Dallas Goddard attack the exact same levels of the field. They attack yep. the exact same areas. Uh, you know, and really the only thing, you know, it's, it's the seams when you're going deep. And then it's the middle of the field, short and intermediate. It's just that, that interior third of the field. Uh, and you have to wonder, and this, it's a tough question to answer because we can't go back to Mike Wallace in Baltimore or whatever. Uh, how much Dallas seeps away from him? That's, you know, kind of the big question. That Dallas kicks, kicks me towards the under. And then I remember that Nelson has the most, uh, receiving experience with Carson if Aljon goes out. And I remember that. Nelson can also go out wide and threaten down the field. And that if they don't have Alshon, then they're going to need him to do that. 
<laughs> you know, it, this is a very, very tricky one to me. I would stay far away from this if I was betting it. I would probably, right. I, like, I want to say the under, but all it's going to take is one huge explosion for him week two. Let's not forget, Philadelphia has week two, uh, Tampa. Terrible secondary. Week three. Just off. Colts. <laughs> right. But I'm saying, like, like Alshon, what we hear right now is Alshon, Al, right. Oh, I got Alshon you. might get active week three, right? Yeah. If, if there's no Alshon week two, Nelson's got Vernon Hargraves maybe in the slot. Maybe MJ Stewart, the rookie. Toasty. Justin Evans is the safety. I go over 250. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. And uh, that one game is that might be like the difference when we get to the end of the season. So yeah. the Aguilar one, I guess I'll just take the under so I have an actual official take, but I hate it. Touchdowns is interesting that, you know, that 768 yards was a lot due to an increase in target for Al, uh, for Aguilar last year. Uh, his yards per reception remained right around where it had been for his career. He had three total touchdowns over two seasons, and then in his third campaign, he puts up eight. So touchdown is where I, I would expect a little bit of a regression. Is he going to regress past five? I would say no. I would say with the way that he was he was used uh, as far as excellent separator, which is a hugely important thing there in the red zone, uh, the fact that he definitely got those targets when they got inside of the 50, right around the 40 when you start taking your deep shots. Yeah. They loved hitting Aguilar on those deep ones. Uh you know, there was the Arizona touchdown, the Washington touchdown. I think Seattle, he got a shot like that as well. Or no, excuse me, Seattle was the, the deep ball up against our own end. So the, the Carson gigantic throw. Either way, I like uh, that usage for him potentially hitting a couple big touchdowns. So maybe I take the over on the, on the five. I was a tough one to riddle out. So yeah, that's, that's a tricky one for me too. If I was a, a betting man, uh, I am. I'm staying away from that one in real life. But for these purposes, uh, I, I feel what you're saying there. Zach Ertz, let's move on to him. Receiving yards over under set at 850. Last three seasons for Ertz, 853, 816, and 824. And that's with 15, 14, and 14 games played respectively. You subtract Trey Burton and Brent mm-hmm. Selleck, you add Dallas Goddard, and that's tough. Uh, there is no denying that the Eagles are extremely efficient passing the ball out of 12 personnel. We've talked about it a lot, whether that be from tight alignments or by, you know, a three by one trips formation or another formation. But I'm going to bet that Goddard makes a decent contribution to the passing game this year. Nothing gaudy, but solid this year. And I'll go under on Ertz for that. And then with receiving touchdowns, the over under is set at 6.5. Last year, Ertz had eight. It was the first time he's been over four in his career. Teams really started to key in on him as the season went on. But the Eagles are also loaded with solid red zone receivers and do really well to get Ertz on favorable matchups. It's tough. I'm going to go under on both. Yeah, I think under I'm comfortable with with Ertz at 850 solely because, like you said, even when he was at his, at his best, 853 was the number that he was hitting. Uh, we've only seen about 24, 25 tight end seasons over the past five years. So about five per season uh, go above 850. And on a team that spreads the ball around this much, Zach Ertz may be a top five tight end, but I'm not sure he sees that yardage sort of input. To me, I like the over on touchdowns. I, I don't have the red zone target numbers for Philadelphia, so it's anecdotal. It's, it's my eyes. It's not the actual stats. But I don't know. When they needed a touchdown against the Patriots to put the game away, they put Ertz on the backside and threw it to him right. on a predetermined read. Like, they constantly look for ways to get him open in the red zone. 
And I, 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 I can't, again, I can't, I don't, don't remember all of the passes that he, he missed or he dropped or were inaccurate or were, he was covered or whatever. But he clearly, to me, is when they get in the red zone, it's all right, what are we dialing up for Zach? Yeah. Right, that's the first thing. So while I anticipate Goddard eating into his yardage pretty significantly, I think I'm probably higher on how much I would expect Goddard to contribute this year uh, as far as yardage goes. I think still in the red zone, uh, Goddard is a good player there in the red zone. But Ertz is what's Ertz's best ability? It's 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 leverage, it's physicality, it's yeah. the ability to uh I might be covered, but you can throw me open by just putting the ball up here. I'm gonna go get it before the other guy gets it. Uh and so I like him in the red zone a good deal. I would hit the over on his uh his six point five touchdowns. I expect him to be to continue to be very, very productive in there. Yeah, and I can definitely respect that. Like you touched on, I touched on it too. They get him on matchups that they like, and he is fantastic at the top of his route with physicality, using the leverage to to tilt a defensive back or, or a linebacker one way or another and getting open immediately to have a catch window uh, for a quarterback to throw it in there. Okay, we're going to flip it over to the defensive side of the ball. These are actually pretty uh, – this, this first one's pretty easy for me. Fletcher Cox, total sacks in 2018. The over-under is set at six. He's going for Defensive Player of the Year this year, and he has been unblockable in preseason. I'm smashing the over, despite him only getting six sacks twice in six years. It's pretty easy for me on that one. Smash the over. Ben, are you doing the same? Oh, comfortably. Uh, <laughs> Fletcher Cox has me drinking the juice this year. I'm, I'm, I'm all about it. I, he clearly, to me, seems like a player who's got a, a, an idea in mind. Let's not forget, before Aaron Donald and uh, and Cleo Mack were out there getting record-setting contracts, Fletcher Cox was out there getting the most guaranteed money ever given to a defensive lineman at his time. And so he, uh, you know, all right, the uh, the guys across the pond, the guys over on the other the other coast are starting to kind of get their deals gotten put into new teams. Cox kind of wants to remind everybody who he is. Uh, and the most important thing, I think, is that Jim Schwartz has to be able to scheme him clear without Timmy Jernigan. That's the one concern right. that I would have. Because uh, it looks like Jernigan isn't going to be a consistent contributor this season because of health. Uh, and so that might make me a little bit worried. But then I also, I've watched Fletcher Cox put enough guards on skates to know that he's good for more than a few pressures a game. I like the six sacks number for him. Looking at the next one, I'm not sure how much I like Michael Bennett at seven sacks. I don't know about you, but that number scares me off. That's another one I'm pretty confident about. The snaps have to be there for Bennett for him to get close to that. And I mean, it helps that Timmy Jernigan won't be playing soon. But this is definitely uh, a tough one for me. I love what he brings to this defense. There's no question about that. You can kick him inside. He can play four-eye. He can play the edge. He's great on stunts, and that's something I think they're going to try to use to get him open on with with Cox, using Cox as a smasher, using Ben as a smasher. I think they're going to do great stuff up front there. But does he get over 65% of the snaps, which no Eagles defensive lineman achieved last year? Only Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox came close to 65%. So I think that you know he's going to be very impactful. And that should not be understated, but I think he comes in under seven sacks. Yeah, no, to me, it exactly comes back to this, the snap count point, which is simply that I can't tell you where Michael Bennett is in the sub-package rotation, in the, okay, maybe he can give us defensive tackle style of snaps and penetration. I can't tell you where he is there, but I can very easily tell you he's defensive end four yeah. in traditional defensive end looks. And I, I don't bank on any defensive end four getting at least seven sacks. I don't care what team you're on. I don't care how talented you've been. You know what I mean? Like you, that's not, that's not a high, that's not a high number of snaps from just a traditional edge rushing position. I I can't buy that. I still buy his impact, but I'm not buying the seven sacks. Speaking of seven sacks, can Brandon Graham for the second consecutive, what? (laughs) Jumping the gun. 
apparently Ben thinks that Brandon Graham is going to be over on the seven sacks as the over under number there. Uh, I'm going to agree. He came into his own last year. He's so he's so doggone valuable and uh, and really, really good, man. He's so talented. He uses his hands and his power so well. Ben, what you got, man? There's two words I'm going to say. And what are the two words? Strawberry Gatorade. Contract year. Oh. <laughs> it's contract year. Yeah. It's an edge rusher in a contract year. Big who money. has explicitly told the world he is looking <laughs> for the big bag. Yeah. Graham is going to head hot this year, let me tell you. Or no Jernigan means more interior snaps for him, which he did a great job with last right. year. No Vinny Curry, uh, who to me was a, a solidly productive uh, pass rusher last year on the opposite edge. Yep. He gets replaced, likely in starting snaps by Derek Barnett, who... As we all know, I don't probably think it's as good of a pass rusher as Benny Curry was last year. So, the, 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 no, the cards on the table. Or the numbers in the cards. What's the idiom? It's in the cards. It's just, it's just plainly in the cards. It's in the cards. That's what it is. So it's in the cards. Yeah. Uh, for Brandon Graham. I, I anticipate him, uh, hitting that seven number. Obviously, it's, you know, that two digit sack year is the number that Graham has circled. I can promise you. Because how, you know, it's, it's a, it's a colloquial, Number we use, thousand yard rusher, thousand yard receiver, double digit sack guy. Like that's just, that's just a, an arbitrary benchmark that's been placed in the general narrative. And so it matters. Uh, You know, that, that he wants that signifier. He wants that adjective. Uh, so I think Brandon Graham's, he's not looking at seven, man. He's looking at seven by week 12. My man wants 10. Uh, that I anticipate him having a very, very productive year. Yeah. And not just the contract year. He's incentivized to get more sacks with the way that they restructured his contract. So yeah, he's doubly motivated to get in there and get him some sack lunches. All right. So that's does it for all the individual players. We'll go on to one last project per prediction here. Uh, the Philadelphia mm-hmm. Eagles over under for wins at 10.5. Ben, oh. are you going to upset the fan base right now and turn everyone against us? Okay. No. Over <laughs> on 10.5 very, very comfortably. That's that. That ain't a hassle, man. Uh, I would like to say, before I move away from the player ones, that I find it very funny that uh, BLG in our list did not include Derek Barnett over under sacks because <laughs> I'll tell you exactly why. I'll tell you exactly why he didn't. Because he and I basically agree on what number we should anticipate for Derek Barnett. It's just that he is not he a known Barnett detractor. Yeah, and I'm a known Barnett detractor, so I'm exposing <laughs> him right now and saying, because he, because I guarantee you, if it, if it had been on the list, first thing I would have said was, okay, BLG also thinks he's only going to have like five, six sacks this year. Uh, but he didn't put it on the list, so I'm just preempting the whole nonsense. Here's my deal with Philadelphia. I think you circle uh, about four or five games. You circle the Falcons game week one. You circle the Vikings game in week five. Uh, then you circle the Saints game in what would I think be week 11 after the bye. You mm-hmm. circle the Rams game in week 15. And those are the four games that, oh, and, and, and Jacksonville, I should say. In, uh, in London. Yeah. Those are the five games that you circle for Philadelphia. They should be reasonably expected to win all six of their division games, barring injury. Yeah. Uh, they're out of, out of schedule game against, uh, Carolina. Or that's not, that's actually, they're, they're playing the NFC South this year. So the Carolina game, right. some might have them, you know, dealing with a little bit. They should be expected to win that. Vikings, or excuse me, Texans in week 16. Uh, maybe Houston's pushing for a playoff spot at this point. Maybe they're as high-powered as some expect them to believe, or as some expect them to be with Deshaun Watson. I'm not really there on that yet. To me, you know, of those 11 games, okay, they drop one, uh, they drop two, then it's nine and two, ten and one over that stretch, and then the five big ones, uh, they, they, you know, you expect them to go three and two on those. 
And now all of a sudden we're looking at a 12-13 win team, which I think most people expect. So yeah, over ten point five, very comfortably. I am. Uh, I'm glad you laid that out because I absolutely, uh, I absolutely agree with you there as far as the logic. Right. I have one team one for you. Over under Philadelphia playoff seed in the NFC two point five. How how are we doing this? Because better is usually over. Would it be under for me to go like one or two? Oh oh yeah no oh yeah you're right it's kind of flipped. Okay so <laughs> are they going to be seed higher than two point five? So over in the sense that they'd be one or two seed. Or are they going to be coming under that number, a lower playoff seating at three, four, five, six? So that, I, yeah, I'm going to go with a uh, higher. I think at, at, at I think they're two uh, at at worst. That's why I would put them at as well. One point five would have been interesting, but just mathematically, yeah. you have to smash the under on that because of the likelihood. Um, but I, I I definitely think you're looking at, at a first round buy sort of a team here. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so that does it for the over-under show. We also got you caught up on some practice squad guys and some moves for the roster, which we will be updating you throughout this week as we roll into week one of the 2018 regular season as the Eagles try to defend uh, their Super Bowl championship. Ben, so what we all, what we have for the rest of the week, I'm going to be talking with Eric Crocker from 4th and 9 about some defensive backs. So we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of defensive back play. I'll be talking with him on Monday. That'll drop on Tuesday. Then we also have an NFC East Supercast that we'll be talking with different writers from around the NFC East from SB Nation, kind of get it in the state of the union for their teams. We'll have our preview for the game with the Falcons. We'll have the general preview with Brandon Lee Gowton and John Stolness on BGN Radio. And uh, we're just bringing content after content after content for you here uh, on Bleeding Green Nation. Ben, would you say goodbye to the gentle listeners, please? Oh, gentle listeners, it is week one. <laughs> Officially week one. It is Monday, so it is week one ish it's week zero it's we're approaching week one of the nfl season this was the last sunday without nfl football until february michael technically end of january if you don't count the pre the pro bowl which you really shouldn't but we say february because it makes us feel better uh it is a thrilling time to be alive uh over at bleeding green nation it's obviously a swell of content now with the roster being finalized uh, you can expect mailbag posts, you can expect some film breakdowns on the new edition, i.e. DeAndre Hall, and you can expect the film preview coming up for the Atlanta Falcons and what we should anticipate from them in the upcoming Thursday night matchup. Man, oh man, it's good to be back into the season, Mike. I'm excited. As always, I have been Benjamin Solak on Twitter, at Benjamin Solak, that's S-O-L-A-K. He's Michael Kist on Twitter, at Michael Kist NFL, that's K-I-S-T. Rate, review, and subscribe. Like us on Facebook so we can have, what, how much is it? A thousand? Three hundred? Something like that. Oh, a thousand. We need a. We are over a thousand followers for at BGN a BGN underscore radio on Twitter. Continue to pile that on. Uh, I think we're going for two thousand yeah. likes on uh, on the uh, on the old Facebook there. But yeah, five stars, man. Five stars. Five stars. Five stars. Yeah, actually, if you try to input a lower than five star review, it doesn't work. That's what I've heard. Not that you should try <laughs> it. You should just take my just take my word for it. Um, but I've heard it. It, it makes your computer <laughs> shut down and it douses you with cold water. I just, so yeah, only five star reviews here at BGN Radio Kiss and Solar Show. Yeah, do that for us because we all we got, we all we need. Fly Eagles, fly. Douses you with water. Do computers come with water now? Well, I want it like 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 you know when a dog is bad, you like spray it. Like <laughs> you could have spray our listeners like a dog. Okay, wait. Okay, so you you uh, you know Modern Family, right? Yeah. Right. So there's that gift now of the dad. And he's spraying his 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 son the, yeah, the the one with the spray bottle right yeah that is to me the funniest gift on the face of the planet I think that's the funniest thing in the world and the next person who comes to my mentions being annoying about like 
Barnett or about my takes on a college player or something. First thing I'm doing is I was pulling out that gift and being like, ah, get out of the mentions. <laughs> I think it's the funniest <laughs> thing in the world. I like that. That and the the one of you riding the bike. That's that's a deadly combo to deal with your mentions. Bye-bye. That's nice. You got a lot of ammo. Hey everybody, how you doing? Well, that's good. My name is Bill Matz. I am the director of Fun and Games for Broad Street Hockey Radio Podcasts. And I am Kelly, the deputy managing editor of BroadStreetHockey.com. I'm Steph Driver, the NHL editorial manager for SB Nation. And I am Charlie O'Connor, lead Flyers writer for TheAthletic.com. And together we make up BSH Radio, one of the shows that you get at the SB Nation podcast family. We have a lot coming to you this year, and we want you to listen to our show. It is just an all-flyers, all-the-time show, so much content. I really hope you listen to it. It is a great piece of the SB Nation podcast family, along with all your other favorite sports. We all love hockey, specifically the Flyers. Let's go the Flyers. The hockey team, the Flyers. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.